Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody, and happy WASD Day. And it is a happy Thursday WASD Day because if it was a Friday, it would definitely not be so much of a happy day. But anyway, my name is Mike Coughlin. I'm, excuse me, Kevin Combs. Vice President here at McKinney Favelle. Mike is off gallivanting the country this week, so I am filling in as the host and have uh, my partner in crime here today, Craig Ruffalo, also Vice President here at McKinney Favelle, to help us discuss today's WASD report. How are you doing today, Craig? Hey, doing all right, Mike. I mean, I mean, sorry, Kevin. <laughs> great, great intro. I agree. Friday WASD days are not not ideal. So I'm with you on it being better if it's on a Thursday. Uh, great. Well, we're happy to have you here. And yeah. just want to remind everyone about a few things here before we get started. Uh, remember, we have some great stuff on our IQ platform. We have our new Commodity Insights that covers up-to-the-minute updates for many of the commodities, including cocoa and chocolate, corn, soybeans, edible oils, sugar, etc. Pretty much anything in a confection, bakery, processed food you could ever want it's on there come take a look no if you're not you are out of the loop because it is a phenomenal spot uh every day you should be checking it out that's right and uh craig or i or one of our mckinney fell reps would be happy to get you set up for a demo so give us a holler also some of the information you're going to hear about today but in a lot more detail uh next week we are having a webinar it's our fall market outlook so Wednesday, October 18th at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Well, I guess we're still on daylight time, Pacific Daylight Time. We'll be covering corn, soy complex, wheat, and sugar. I'm and registered. You should be too. All right. I am registered. So everyone should be registered. It's a must-listen must to, must-observe webinar. Yeah. And if you didn't see an invite already, if you're not on our uh, customer contact list, you can register directly at mckinney-flavelle.com. So check it out. Well, without further ado, Craig, let's get started with the podcast and our information on WASD. What yes. you're seeing out there? What did you think on the corn complex? Crazy days uh, were probably projected for corn markets and the, and the grains complex because I think most were anticipating some reductions in yields. And USDA did not disappoint. They went forward and they did lower yields, specifically uh, on corn and beans. Uh, so we saw a half a bushel reduction in soybean uh, yield to 49.6. And we saw a, nearly a bushel decline in the corn yield, which was a little bit higher than what maybe the industry average was to hit 173 even. So yeah, not I a think, big surprise though, right? I no. mean, this was pretty expected across the board. I, I think everyone was looking for small yields. Everyone knew nothing was great. So not a big reaction. Yeah, I would agree with you right there. There's, there shouldn't be an overreaction, meaning that probably some of this was baked in. I think, generally speaking, the soy complex, because of carryout potential uh, being so tight, you know, 220 million bushels is probably why we saw the complex reverse its trend on price today. And, and Kevin, isn't it right that the last we checked was the managed funds seem to still be net short uh on corn yep no definitely what do you think that might they might do now that we've seen a validation of some lower yields well you know i 
definitely uh, think there's going to be some buying coming in. That was kind of my worry coming into this report and had, you know, worked with a few customers, get some coverage added on uh, before this report. You know, it's when everyone's thinking it's negative, it's negative and, and, you know, kind of always go with that belief that small crops seem to get smaller as you go forward and big crops seem to get bigger just because most people, when they do their estimates and I think the USDA falls into that category too, you know, you don't want to go out there and just think it's going to be huge and come up with your top number. You you want to let it grow into that type of number, and, and it seems to go both upwards and downwards. It's interesting that where the uh, potential change in the yield really was impacted on the eastern Corn Belt, if you look at the states that they had listed as the reasons why they lowered yield. And right now with the harvest going on we have some pretty major storms coming in in the western corn belt that uh, is projected to maybe delay harvest a little bit uh, so just an interesting thing to, to to monitor but overall again my my feeling is is that the report shouldn't have shocked anybody as the results it's just now monitoring between now and when harvest is over as to whether or not the usda is going to be influenced to maybe lower yields even a little further right Okay. Moving on uh, on to a couple other subjects here. I think you're following wheat a little closer than uh, I do. And without Eric here, any uh, comments on what uh, what the wheat S&Ds had? Yeah. So globally is the big thing. We, we reduced global supplies. Uh, and this, again, is probably continuing on the same theme as the last few months. Australia continues to see drought uh, conditions. And so they've lowered Australia's uh, wheat production along with Kazakhstan and Ethiopia. So we've saw a three and a half million ton reduction in global wheat uh, supplies. Interestingly enough is, is that they did not drop U.S. wheat. In fact, if, if you looked at the balance sheet for U.S. wheat in total, uh, it was pretty much non-change. Uh, and so we don't really see any impact on the U.S. supply of wheat one of the things that I'm going to be monitoring and, and certainly have Eric and others uh, to discuss this is the quality of the wheat when it's harvested. Uh, will we see more wheat go for feed rather than for, for flour? And that's something that will be certainly impacting basis levels on, on, the, on that wheat crop. It's just being harvested. So something to be monitoring, nothing to be shocked about uh, as far as today's report. Okay, great. And uh, kind of moving on to my favorite topic and cover oh, here was sugar. And uh, Come on now. The USDA never, never shies away from uh, giving you something to talk about when it comes to the sugar market, Kevin. Well, you know, coming into the write-ups, you know, at this point in time, we're October. And, you know, you expect to see some minor stuff for 2022, 2023. But yet uh, that's where the majority of the changes were made again this month. Because, you know, it's obviously been a, a turbulent few years and 2022-23 was no different despite, you know, decent production and whatnot. But just trying to manage the program and trying to keep ahead of things, imports have always been crazy. And so we see tons of adjustments on imports and pretty much every category this month, you know, 154,000 tons lower on imports. You know, TRQ was lower. Yeah. Uh, other program was lower, 59,000 tons on other. I mean, how often do we talk about other program imports? Other. Right? Right. I don't think that – I think they throw that in there just as a miscellaneous. Instead of calling it miscellaneous, they use the term 
other. Well, it's usually not a category of adjustment. Yeah, it covers sugar re-export program. That stuff continues on. There's not a lot of changes. And yet this year, we're down to 141,000 tons on their estimate for imports for the other program, which is less than half of what it was last year, which uh, is crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Yep. And oh, my goodness. Then uh, we get to Mexico. And, of course, with Mexico's crop coming in very poorly this year, them needing to import massive amount of sugar. They lowered uh, Mexico's exports to the U.S. 63,000 tons, which, again, uh, not a surprise as expected, but uh, just kind of the craziness that goes on in sugar. And then offsetting that with a whopping massive 3,000 tons increase, high-tier imports on the opposite end of the spectrum is hitting a record level. Uh, I think it's a record anyway at 453,000 tons, certainly the highest we've seen in, in a long, 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 long time. I would agree with that. I don't. I don't recall the last time we were over four hundred thousand tons. I mean, we got close the year prior, but which is just so. a crazy number to talk about when you sit there and look at a managed program where the USDA is allowed <laughs> to increase imports and do things after April first to make sure we have enough sugar. Yet we need to import four hundred and fifty-three thousand tons under high tier. Yeah, I know, right? Duties. <laughs> yeah. I know, and that puts us at an over fifteen percent stocks to use ratio, which is. You know, still within the range of what they want to monitor the program at, but you would think, based upon that kind of potential carryout, that you wouldn't see high tier imports continuing to raise during that same period of time. That just right. blows me away. Right. And that, you know, you bring up the stocks to use, which is all courtesy of our deliveries coming down. I believe this is the fourth consecutive month. USDA has to lower it as our. Deliveries have been very poor. Uh, we don't have the SMD report to get into a lot of the details on why those numbers are down. But you know, when we looked at it last month, we were down 1.2%. Uh, I expect this month will probably show nothing different here. But uh, it's amazing. We are now just showing a 5,000 short-ton raw value increase in deliveries over last year. Have we returned back to pre-COVID with you know that less than half a percent growth year over year? You know, I, I was just having that same conversation with uh, someone today in general when it comes to demand base for a lot of commodities. And I kind of have suggested that maybe we have to reset our mindset to pre-COVID 2019 calendar year kind of demand levels and suggest that maybe we're kind of hitting right back to that uh, demand base. But but don't you want more sugar, Craig? <laughs> Well, we all would it tastes like good. A little more sugar. I don't mind a little more sugar, but I'm biased. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it tastes so I, good. I, I know. Well, I, I and it's interesting because you know, Kevin, how many times have you read and and let's just say the last month, let alone the last five years, an article on some form of sugar reduction? What would you say the number of articles? Five, ten, fifteen? Well, I again go back to pre-COVID and it was rampant and there were articles all over talking about taxes on sweeteners and, you know, high caloric goods. And it was very heavily in the uh, media Yeah, over the last four years now. Not so much. I'm just starting to see a, a pickup again. I think during the pandemic it went away and now it's starting to regenerate itself a little bit, but yet, I would predict that people's eating habits haven't adjusted that much from pre-COVID uh, trends to now. 
Yeah. I, I just, it, I, I think in general, this USDA number is probably pretty accurate to the reality. Yeah. Oh, I agree completely. And it wouldn't surprise me if that ends up at a negative number just based yeah. on what we're seeing in the SMD reports. What we see from customers in the industrial trade, you know, yeah. certainly seeing some negative numbers there and people coming up short on contracts and, you know, suppliers wanting to manage that, make sure people are pulling, et cetera. But uh, if the, the demand's not there, the demand's not there. So, yeah. Um, You're um, not receiving the phone calls. Hey, how do I get another truck of sugar? Or right. my rail cars are short because I'm not getting any production out of my bins. I ran so out of contract right. this year. Yeah, we didn't have that this uh, this end of the crop year. And here we are, you know, we're in the new crop year. So, Speaking of new crop, what do you think about their beet sugar number? What do you think? Is that a good number, 5.15? or You know, you I was a little bit surprised. If, if it would have come down a little bit and we saw the 22-23 uh, beet number go up, because they shifted more into early production, given that you know crops were on time more or less, despite a little bit late plantings in the Red River Valley. But you know yields were looking good. They got started in August in uh, the Red River Valley. That wouldn't surprise me. But instead, they just lowered beet production, seventy-two thousand tons, down to five point one five. You know, a couple months ago when USDA was coming up with their early number that was kind of my number it's like why aren't they at 5.15 then as we've gotten into harvest you start hearing some of these yield numbers particularly in the red river valley you know the southern portion of it getting over uh, 30 uh, tons per acre that's that's near a record for them i, think. Well, I don't know about record but it's right it's there near. it's good strong number it's a strong yeah. number 30 and, ton an acre yeah that's really good yeah deal. And then, you know, moving up into the central part of the Red River Valley, seeing yields and hearing yields in 26 and a half ton per acre, you know, just kind of told me that when you looked at everywhere else, you know, Michigan having maybe slightly below average, but all these areas came up and were uh, talking about average to above average. I was, I'm, I'm thinking 5.2 was good. I thought their September estimate was looking pretty good, so. I was, I'm in the same camp. I, I really thought that 5.2 would have been the number. And so I thought USDA maybe been a little premature to get to that point. Because as you say, usually good crops get, uh, big crops get bigger and you want to kind of ease into that. And we just are through a portion of the harvest. We're not completely done yet. And we're not getting through piles yet, obviously, uh, on slice. So I would agree with you. I think that maybe they were a little conservative on backtracking a little bit. Um, but, you know, who knows? We're, we're early days yet. Yep. on overall production any thoughts on louisiana craig you uh oh, you love your you louisiana <laughs> and big lsu fan for football right. as a result of it uh they right. raised their number back 56 but that's after dropping it massively last month because of the drought and hot conditions that just persisted over the summer and you know you look at the drought monitor louisiana is just decimated and super dark on that color chart which you don't like to see so dead center of the drought yeah it was dead center of the drought eastern texas on into louisiana was just a dead on dark area and i projected the massive decline i didn't think they needed to jump it uh all the way down as far as they did in one month and chop it that much but there are a lot of farmers down there that have told me that they were looking at potentially having to file for crop insurance because of the failure. 
the 1.7 is not a bad number. I would have said 1.7 would have been the number for, for what I had in my mind as to where this crop was going down from yeah. two. So about a 300,000 ton reduction. And so I think they're back on point with where actual this thing will end up. Very good. Very good. Well, you know, when I look at the rest of it, you know, here we are, we get down bottom line. It's a 12.3% stocks to use ratio down 1.2% down from the, you know, the target number of 13.5. Obviously USDA is going to do stuff. And, uh, I think that's really the name of the game on sugar is what, uh, policy things are going to go, particularly with Mexico having, uh, another disaster of a crop. Speaking of drought, right. drought there it's just looks kind of like what you were just talking in Texas and Louisiana, and it just expanded. I was just looking at it today to go back from the start of the rainy season to the last uh, drought monitor, and man, it just got dark and red and uh, brown all over the country where it started out looking decent for some of the key growing regions, particularly along the Gulf Coast where a large portion of the Mexican industry is. But, you know, even there, they're starting to get hit a little bit with uh, some of that darker colors. But central Mexico, up in the northeast, onto the west coast, where there's, you know, still a good portion of the industry has just been decimated. So I think the key question here is what uh, was USDA do? Mexico is now forecast to import 285,000 tons metric tons in 22-23 and the number that got me was they put 322,000 tons of imports into 23-24 after lowering their production forecast which I'm still surprised by that number a little bit I you know would have expected to see 100-150,000 tons of imports needed to get Mexico back to sufficient ending stocks type of thing but uh, I wasn't expecting to see 322,000 tons there so uh, that's, that, that number stood out to me as well. And, and obviously their, their concern here is, is that when you've got such high prices going on within the Mexican domestic market, there's probably not too much incentive for that sugar to leak coming into the U S outside of quota, but you never know. And I think they've got to be mindful of some of this stuff kind of filtering its way into our marketplaces un, unannounced. It's just going to be an interesting component and it's certainly uh, probably the number one element to keeping the 16 market elevated is mexico is going to be needing all of these imports for its own marketplace kind of exports be darned uh here okay. I, I just think that that's going to be a supportive to 16 values for the whole 23 24 crop year oh sure definitely and it's going to be interesting what uh what well not only what the usda does but also uh, potentially even the Department of Commerce, would they have any right. action with Mexico importing? Because, you know, they're supposed to be a big net exporter and and be shipping their surplus, not be shipping sugar that, you know, they have to bring in sugar from around the world to meet their demand so that they can then thus meet their quota to the United States. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So uh, No, it doesn't. <laughs> we'll be watching for policy action and be sure to... Uh, Take a look, and uh, if you don't know the answers and what's going on and want to be up to date, again, uh, you know, remember we have our IQ portal, which that information gets posted regularly. Absolutely. So. Well, I, you know, Kevin Wazdi never never ceases to amaze us as far as uh, what's out there in published format by USDA. They do the best they can. Thank God we didn't have a government shutdown because we wouldn't have gotten this Wazdi <laughs> report. So at least we got a chance to, to do the analysis today. And uh, as always, it creates more opportunities for volatility to stay in the commodity world. There you go. 
And uh, people, that pretty much wraps up our weekly hot commodity podcast. Want to thank everyone for listening in. And as Mike always says, is that what? That's not me. No, that's Mike. Right. Always says, live with an attitude of gratitude. Until next time, take care, everyone. Have a great weekend, everybody. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favell's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favel.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.